Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I am so excited to have two new guests today. This is new for me, two guests, Claire <laughs> and Rachel today on the show. And they are both SLPs that met in grad school and are now the co-hosts of the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. Their goal of their podcast is to support both parents and professionals to facilitate a positive learning and language environment. So welcome, Claire and Rachel, to the show. Thanks for having us. (laughs) So tell everyone a little bit about your background and because today we're going to be talking all about fluency preschool cases. So tell us about your SLP journey and why this is such a passion for you. So um, this is Rachel and I, like you mentioned, Claire and I met in grad school and specifically related to stuttering. We had the opportunity to work for an intensive stuttering clinic as part of one of our internship experiences. And that's when we had our first major exposure to fluency and stuttering. And then after we graduated, we were lucky enough to come back to the same university and supervise and look at stuttering and fluency from that role, which was awesome. And Claire and I both come from kind of different backgrounds. So I started my CF at the same school that I'm at right now. So this is my fifth year. And I work with kindergarten through fifth grade. For one year, I also worked in preschool, which is awesome. And then another year, um, I also had some high school students. So 
kind of all over the board. And I know, Claire, you're kind of similar. Yes. So I started in a school as well, and I lasted two years there until I left and went to an outpatient clinic setting um, where I also serviced like K to 12. So I was still seeing similar aged kids. Um, And now I'm actually in a university setting as a supervisor is my main role. And I am kind of the fluency go-to at this university. I feel like it's a... It's a population that a lot of people just don't feel super comfortable with, and I do because like Rachel said, we've had a lot of experience early on with fluency, Um, and I feel like in my career so far, I've had a lot of those cases because I'm so comfortable with it, and I don't feel like it's something a ton of SLPs really are, Um, but I hope after listening to this, you guys might feel a little bit more comfortable. I know that preschool stuttering especially, it's like when do you start? Mm-hmm. Why do you start? How do you know if they'll stop? Or it's a big question of that, I think. And I know it's kind of hard to tell. Exactly. Because I remember even just learning in graduate school, like, okay, there's normal stuttering, there's not normal stuttering. So what would you say to someone who's maybe a CF or all of a sudden just has their first fluency case coming to them? What would you say to them who has this case in front of them? And like, they have to be the person who knows what, what the answers are. And they don't feel confident. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say first take a deep breath because CFs are always high stress. So (laughs) deep breath. (laughs) Um, And the first thing you want to do is talk to the parents because they know the child best. So a parent questionnaire is the first thing that I do, whether it's over the phone, over the computer, whatever you're doing. Um, You want to make sure you are finding out what the parents see at home because I found with preschoolers, a lot of times the first session they come in with me, how they're talking to me isn't really how they're talking at home a lot. Sometimes it takes the second or third session for them even to start stuttering with me because it's such a strange environment and they're only speaking in maybe one to two words, whereas at home they're speaking in a whole slew of sentences. So It doesn't mean that you can't pick them up for therapy. At least that's where I'm at with it. Um, If they come into you and they don't stutter at all, don't freak out. Listen to the parent and listen to their concerns and also discuss some really relevant risk factors. So you're going to ask things like, is there a history of stuttering? Because a lot of times the research has shown that genetics is a factor. So like, let's say their uncle stuttered or something like that. That could be a factor in telling you that maybe the stuttering will persist past that toddler or preschool age. Um, You also want to look at how long it has been. So past six months is red flag. So if they've been uh, stuttering for longer than six months, that is like a big red flag that maybe it's going to persist. Um, You want to look at, is there a pattern? So I've had families come in and it's like, they start stuttering, but also then they start gaining all this language and then they start stuttering. And so a lot of times it follows language bursts. And that's interesting because you don't really know that that correlate sometimes, but it does. So a lot of times the child, when they get all of this language, they will start stuttering along with it just because they're learning at such a quick pace. So it's almost like their way of processing it. Um, So you want to look at that. You want to know um, kind of the types of stuttering that I know Rachel is going to kind of go over a little bit. And then you want to know if there's any big changes or events. I hate saying traumatic events because it doesn't, for a child, a traumatic event is very something change related. It doesn't have to be a death or an accident or something super dramatic. It can be something as simple as they got a dog or their sibling. Yeah. Yeah, A new new routine, like a parent's now working at night versus during the day or whatever. Exactly. Something so simple that 
oh, their life is really changed. And so their stuttering is happening because that is their like innate response to this change happening. So all of these things, however, are something that I think is really appropriate to coach parents on. So there really isn't a, I can't give you a, when is the child going to stop? Because you really don't know. Like I said, some of the risk factors can kind of tell you and you can guess, but I think it's really important not to just write off the child just because you think that they're going to grow out of it. And I think that's a really dangerous thing to think is that, oh, they'll just grow out of it because you don't know that. So even if you're not going to pick them up for therapy, I think it's really important to coach the parents, maybe even just one or two sessions. And that could do a lot. And when you're coaching the parents, you're coaching them on how to provide a positive communication environment. You're coaching them on things like maybe taking some time constraints out to really just talk to your child. And life is crazy. And I get that sometimes that's hard to do, but you would treat it the same as if your child had an articulation disorder or a language disorder um, or autism or anything. You're going to have to take some time out to give them and their communication what it needs. So that's the biggest thing, I think. And I feel like nobody, again, ever feels 100% confident in that. I still don't. And I've worked with a ton of little kids with stuttering and some grow out and some don't. And it's, you know, you just, you work with the parents a ton. And I think another really important part is as SLPs, when you're figuring out your treatment plan and kind of going from there, deciding if you're going to take a direct or an indirect approach. So an indirect approach would look like you as the SLP, you're not really commenting to the child about their speech. And I know as a whole, we're kind of trying to move away from this because there's not really a lot of evidence to support that that's really helpful. It can be a useful part of therapy, but it really shouldn't be the only thing. And actually, when we were getting ready for this episode, I did a little research as we usually do. And I found this really interesting study that looks at direct versus indirect treatment for preschool children. And basically what they found, their overall outcome was that both were successful, but indirect treatment decrease stuttering more quickly in those first three months. And I know sometimes that's a big go-to for parents is they want it to happen quickly. And obviously we never, like Claire said, we never know how long it's going to take or what treatment looks like because every kid is different and everyone's going through different things. So that's kind of what an indirect model would look like. And a direct model is kind of like the, or is the LIDCOM program, which I know a lot of people are familiar with, and that's a behavioral treatment specifically for kids six and under. And that deals with a lot of parent coaching, like Claire just mentioned. There's kind of like three overall phases that go with that. There's like a demonstrate where the SLP is showing the parents or caregivers how it would look. There's the observe phase where they kind of sit back, watch, and then the feedback phase where you say, okay, this is what I saw. This is how you can change it and do things a little bit differently. But another thing that the direct approach kind of encompasses, which is something Claire mentioned, was each day parents or caregivers rate their children's speech at home on a scale from one to nine. So one is mild all the way to nine is severe. And like Claire said, talking at home and those experiences are so different than what you see in a 30 minute or even a 50 minute snapshot, whether you're in a clinic or a school. So you really see what the day-to-day life looks like. And then during your next session, the parents would bring in those numbers. You would kind of review it, see if there's any correlating 
um, situations or issues and kind of go from there. So I do think a mixed approach of both direct and indirect can be beneficial, excuse me. I think it's helpful to maybe start off less direct and move towards the more direct, but like I said, everyone's a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I always tell parents like, I am essentially training you to be the therapist. Like I want you to be the therapist in your own home. I know you're not going to grad school and becoming a speech pathologist, but I want you to feel comfortable with your child's speech enough where you know what's happening and you know how to respond to it and you know the way that they're going to react. So I think it's really important, like Rachel said, um, for parents to kind of track that. And that's kind of the first thing that you can tell them is you really need to track your child's behaviors, what's happening when they're stuttering, the kinds of things that they react to when they stutter, how they react when they stutter. They just really need to keep track of that kind of stuff. So I think that's all, all encompasses in the whole little ones stuttering. And I think that incorporating the family is just really the biggest thing. I think that's the big difference between preschool stuttering therapy and like school-based stuttering yes. therapy where you're training more the teachers mm-hmm. and, and helping them understand like, and peers and, and, and helping them more with that aspect. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more parent training, especially because yes. like you said, 30 minutes is not enough to make a difference. Exactly. So, you know, you should think of it the same way. So the same way that you would teach the teachers is similarly how you're going to teach the parents, but just kind of switching it to that home-based setting instead of the school-based setting. Um, Because what you want is, again, for them to feel comfortable with what's happening. And then if they end up stuttering more long-term, then like Rachel said, it would be a little bit more of a direct approach and you would kind of target that awareness and the types of stuttering and things like that. But in the beginning, you know, those little kids, they don't understand what a prolongation is or even really what stretchy speech is. A lot of times you have to make it fun for them too. So using words like turtle talk, I know that some people don't really like that because you're not supposed to tell people with stuttering to slow down. You're supposed to stay away from that. I Totally agree, but giving them that cue of turtle talk to control your rate really helps. That's awesome. Okay, so can you give me an example of how you would teach the student, like the children, these turtle talk terms in like a fun and child-friendly way versus just being like, hey, use this? Yeah, for sure. So um, for those of you that don't know, turtle talk is kind of that treatment technique or tool that is commonly used with these early intervention age students, whether it's preschool or even early elementary students. I use it with my kindergarten, first grade students that really don't have that awareness yet, like Claire had mentioned, or the control really to use specific techniques on words. It's also known as easy speech for our older population, but specifically what it looks like is a slight prolongation or stretching of that beginning sound onto the next sound. And it's used specifically on the initial sound of the first word of a sentence or phrase. It's not necessarily on a disfluent word. And that's really the important thing to remember about this because typically other techniques that you use with older children or adults for fluency or stuttering are specifically used for when you feel a disfluency or when you're in a block or a prolongation or part word repetition or whatever it may be. So that's the important thing to remember for turtle talk is it's really kind of transforming your speech as a whole. And the other important thing to remember is that 
especially with this age for preschool, you're taking a very play-based approach. So we had an episode called Let's Play on the Let's Talk About Speech podcast that specifically talks about a bunch of different toys and how you can take a very play-based approach with a lot of them. And I know we talked about a lot of open-ended toys. And that can look just like playing to parents. And this is where that parent coaching part really comes into play, just like Claire was talking about earlier. And in order to see those really effective treatment outcomes or your students or children getting away from those disfluencies, especially in preschool where it's kind of very transient and it comes and it goes and now it's back and now it's gone, that parent coaching part is so important because you're giving the parents those tools in order to be successful at home. And specifically for SLPs, this can look as simple as just modeling the turtle talk to start. and then. Once you get more comfortable with that, you're redirecting them back to turtle talk if you feel them getting really quick in their speech and jumbled. And sometimes preschool stuttering can also sound like cluttering. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a big difference with that. And I know people struggle with the difference between stuttering and cluttering because they can sound very similar. But like Claire had mentioned earlier, the frustrating part of this is there just isn't a lot of research and there's not a lot of tools out there and that can feel very isolating for both speech pathologists and parents. But you can treat to cluttering similarly because it's still a disfluency, right? So you treat it the same as you would stuttering. So I know that everyone's like, oh, is it cluttering? Is it stuttering? I need to know. But you don't really need to know. Just you treat it in the same way. You're controlling and you're releasing your tension and you're Mm -hmm. getting that less pressure on talking. And that's essentially what it comes down to with these kids. And you're modeling that turtle talk, like Rachel said. And I know with some of my little ones, I usually give them like a picture of a turtle and then a picture of a cheetah. And we just run around the clinic. We're like, okay, let's be a cheetah. Okay, wait, let's be a turtle. And I have, I go between the signs of like a turtle and a cheetah. And that's how we learn the difference between them. And then we come back into the room and we start talking like a cheetah or we talk like a turtle. So then we differentiate it in that way because it makes more sense to them. Um, I think that teaching component does come into play a lot with kids, but you have to put it in a sense that they will understand because they don't really, even you, you modeling that slope talk, they might not totally get until you teach that aspect of the turtle talk. And I love that you mentioned also the play base. Can you give an example of some like open-ended play ideas that's for someone to be like, okay, I have a session tomorrow. What should I do? Can you give an example? Like you mentioned earlier, you kind of have to find what their interests are and go from there. I know simple things like bubbles are great and you can practice popping them, starting your sentences really easy. There are a ton of toys. I know I love Play-Doh. I was just going to say, that's what I use a lot. So many things (laughs) with Play-Doh or even I have these sensory things called monkey noodles and basically it's just this like flexible thing that you can stretch so they see that visual too of you stretching out that slow speech but the play-doh is great for if you have like a um, matchbox car and you're mm-hmm. giving the comparison of smooth speech versus bumpy speech one you can make a really bumpy road and there's bumps and potholes and a tree and whatever they want and then you have a smooth road and when the car goes down this one, it's difficult, but when we switch to our turtle talk and go down this one, it's easier. So those are kind of my go-tos for sure. My kids love dry erase markers. 
And I feel like it's something they don't really get to play with a lot. So when I give it to them, it's like, oh my gosh, even if it's just like a really small dry erase board. But that's a really good um, tactile cue to provide them too of the smooth versus bumpy. So I'll, with their hand, kind of go along the smooth line and then it'll get bumpy to get them. You really differentiate a lot, I think, at first too, between bumpy and smooth to get their awareness of it because kids probably don't even notice at that mm -hmm. age that they're doing it. Um, I know in the very rare case, some kids' parents will tell me that their kid will tell them, oh, it's really hard to talk. So they kind of get it, but they don't totally understand what's happening yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the first step is getting them to understand. And the way you do that is play-based because they're not going to participate otherwise. So you really have to make it something that they're motivated by. Can you give an example of what an indirect activity might look like? Yeah. So to be honest with you, indirect would be a lot more just modeling your own speech as you're playing with them. Mm -hmm. So you're not really, you're not talking about speech. So you're not even talking about the way that you're communicating. You are just doing it and modeling it and seeing if they go with it. You could also incorporate a lot of this stuff, just not prompt them to use their voice in that way and just see if they kind of pick up on it. A lot of that is done with parents too. So like you're coaching the parent to play with them and put pausing and phrasing into their speech as they're talking to their child so that their child is able to see the way that that speech can be controlled. That's a little bit less direct. You're kind of just modeling and you're playing. And I know that a lot of people say that like, oh, SLPs, all you do is play with my kid, which you're right. We do. We said that in our last episode. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. However, we are intentional about it and there is research-based evidence to show why we do it. So um, I think that's why. Play with I really, it's play with a purpose. It is. Yeah. Play with a purpose. Exactly. But that's really why I like incorporating both indirect and direct because I don't think that just indirectly is enough, especially if it's something that has been present in their speech for longer than six months, or if it's something that's very severe, that's impeding their ability to communicate with their friends or parents or whoever. I think it's definitely something that needs to take a little bit more of a direct approach. I was going to say that too, because I know personally, I really struggle with the indirect approach because mm -hmm. I mean, in comparison to like drilling our tick words and things like that, I don't feel like I'm actively doing something. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the direct approach, we're kind of addressing it, we're modeling yeah. it, and now we're trying it. And then we're kind of doing that like cyclical pattern. So I know personally, the indirect approach is kind of hard for me. Yeah. And that's will be like, as SLPs, like, we can't collect data on it. Like, how do you right. know if it really happened? Like, right. right? Like, <laughs> there's no proof exactly. it happened. Yeah. Right. How and do you, how do you tell a mark like, I spoke slowly. Exactly. <laughs> well, influencing itself is so hard to collect data with as well. Like I feel like a lot of times I do have to get permission to record sessions and go back afterwards because it is really hard to catch all the disfluencies or the changes in the disfluencies. Once you start implementing the turtle talk or slower controlled speech, it's hard to track that while you're also trying to treat indirectly or directly. Mm -hmm. Like I find with, like and normally in data collection, world i hate percentages mm -hmm. but when it comes to like fluency and like social skills like those kind of goals it's almost like like you're not doing trials like right you know what? it's it's something to have to say like did they get it at least more than half of the time right yeah right it's so conversational. both of those things are so conversationally based 
that it's yeah like okay we're gonna have this conversation then we're gonna stop and then <laughs> I'm gonna, gonna have, have a point like a, you're not gonna have a stopwatch yeah. like, no right. some way, way to put more pressure on the conversation right <laughs> and sometimes that's all I get and I just have to be okay with it in a session if I just get the patient or the client was observed to utilize turtle talk mm-hmm. minimally throughout the session or I don't whatever it is sometimes yeah. it's not a number and sometimes you just kind of have to go off of Sometimes you just have to teach the whole session and that's okay. And I think that's something really important for SLPs to learn too, is that teaching is just as important as collecting the data. Like they, you can't expect them to know what you want if you're not going to teach it. So um, yes, data is important, but at the same time, it's also equally important to provide the therapy and to teach. Especially your little ones. If you're sitting there with a paper and pencil, like doing tally marks, Right. They're not going to be, how are you supposed to play? Yeah. How right. are you supposed and you're to be running around something. as a cheetah? Like you yeah. can. <laughs> exactly. You might miss something too. You're going to knock that pencil into someone's eye if you're right. doing that. Like, that's not okay. Or it's going to turn into, I want to draw and then right. all the data's gone. Yeah, exactly. 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 Oh, awesome. Can you share one thing I love having guests do on my show is share mm-hmm. like a mistake or a challenge they've overcome in the field to share just like, you know, it isn't always rainbows and unicorns. It isn't. No, for sure. Rachel, do you have what I'm trying to think? I'm trying to think. (laughs) I mean, I, of course I go back to my CF year where like Claire said, I feel like CFs are always like stressed out and don't know what's going on. And I have a Mm -hmm. CF actually, I mentioned I had a part-time SLP at my building and she's a CF right now. So I feel like, and Claire kind of touched on this, being really stressed about, I have to have numbers and Mm -hmm. I have to have an outcome and are we making progress and being so fixated on that because that as a whole can really take away from your session and from the overall goal, which is of course to have them make progress and eventually go on to graduate speech or Mm -hmm. whatever SLPs call it. I know I call it graduate, but I think being too focused on that can take away from establishing rapport and all of those important things and Building those relationships, I feel like, are so important because I know I have several students that I'll ask how their brother's doing because they're not in school anymore. They moved up grades and they get so excited. Do you still remember him? And little things like that. Or I know so-and-so likes Black Panther, so if I can work that in and reference that, I will. So I think not getting hung up on data and numbers and all of the paperwork stuff that Mm -hmm. all SLPs just love. (laughs) And I know as a CF, I used to be like afraid of the parents Mm -hmm. and afraid of like what they would think of me or not willing to give them constructive criticism because a lot of times, you know, the parents are maybe not understanding what you're doing and you really need to explain it. Or especially for the little ones, a lot of the parents and a lot of my parents of my early intervention kids that I see give them like way too much language or talk way too fast to them. And I used to be really afraid to correct this because I thought they would think I was being mean or mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just me by Judgy nature or, too. Like, yeah. like exactly. the, the imposter syndrome also. Exactly. Like who am I yeah. to like tell them what to do? Like, right. when you're I, CF, like the parents older than me. Like. Exactly. <laughs> right. No, so true. And so I had to get over that, especially when I went into outpatient clinic. I saw a lot more EI kids and a lot more parents that just 
not that they didn't have a clue, but they just were not, they, they weren't supporting the language in a way that was going to facilitate more words and facilitate a positive environment for their child. So I really had to learn that parent coaching. And I think that's something that it doesn't come naturally to us. And I don't think we are taught it enough in grad school either. So it's definitely something you have to kind of learn as you go. Mm -hmm. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way, parent coaching, either not telling them enough or telling them the wrong thing. And then going back later and being like, actually, I want you to do this. I was looking it up and I want you to do this, not that. (laughs) And it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to do that. And I think the biggest thing is just to say you made a mistake and own it and acknowledge it and explain it and move on. And not to dwell on it either, because I, I am the first to say I dwell on mistakes a lot, but it's only human and we all do it and we learn from them. And I think that was like ingrained from us, like in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And also like people can read your confidence. If you come right. in there going like, oh, totally. I think it's this, they're going to be like, okay, I'm not listening. Right. I'm not going to try that at home. She doesn't right. know what she's talking about, yeah. right. but act it out. And then, and then if you make a mistake, the next day be like, you know what? I got a better idea. Exactly. Right. It's not that you, make a, it's not that you made a mistake. I did some research. I wanted yes. to do this. Be the best SLP for your child. Because right. I'm, yeah. I've been thinking about them all weekend. Right. And I really want you to try this idea because I think it's going to also be so good. Right. Like, and it's versus like, meanwhile, in, the, in your head going like that other idea was like, uh, what? no, yeah. I don't know what I was don't talking do that. about. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. And that's okay to say too, is that, hey, I'm not totally sure. Or you don't even have to say that. Be like, you know, I really want to do more research on it this weekend and get a really good answer for you. I will email you in a couple days or something. Like it's okay to say that. And I think parents appreciate that more than we think they're going to because they want you to have good and a lot of information. So if that means it's going to delay it a day, that's okay. And I feel like everything we touched on comes with experience because I know Claire and I both started our private practices like four months ago. And even in these four months, like, yes, I've been a speech therapist in a school for four and a half, five years. But even in these four months, like owning your own business and running it and looking at it through that lens is totally different too. Yeah, totally, totally. And I have to ask this question because of the times that we're in right now. Can you give any tips or ideas for someone doing preschool starting therapy through a computer virtually? Yeah, absolutely. So I... I just evaluated a three-year-old actually for stuttering and that's young. It's, that's really, really young. And that was a case that very minimal stuttering, but mom reported some days it got to the point where he couldn't even get a word out. And I, again, firmly believe that you can provide quality parent coaching for the times that you're not there. So my parent coaching looks the same as it does in a therapy room, but so much better because it's using their same toys. So we start the session by, um, I allow him to bring like two to three toys and he just talks to me about them. And I'm all the while modeling my turtle talk or slower controlled speech. And we talk about his toys and I monitor his speech to see kind of what disfluencies I'm hearing. And then we have gotten to the point with him actually that we talk about turtle talk and it happened pretty quickly, mostly because his mom was very, very um, engaged in our sessions and she was very a part of it. So the parent coaching happened pretty quickly. Usually I like to do it over the course of like two to three sessions, but again, it happened quickly. So I literally bring up a picture of a turtle. Um, I use PixBay and it has a lot of free just pictures and he gets to pick the turtle that we're working with. And so it shows up on the screen and then I bring up a boom card game 
So anything like my favorite right now is these doors where they have to pick the door to open and there's like an animal inside. Um, I'm all about the free boom cards right now. So <laughs> I've been hoarding free boom cards, right? right? Seriously. <laughs> so, um, so on one side of the screen will be the turtle to remind him to talk like a turtle while you're saying what door to open. And then we'll just work on really basic language and expanding utterances, even though we're not targeting language, that's kind of what I'm doing, but with the goal of him using a more controlled rate of speech so that he gets used to talking in that way. So that's a sense where, you know, language and fluency really overlap because you can use a lot of the same materials that you use for your language kids, for your fluency kids, but make it so that they know what strategies they're using. And that's kind of all across the board for me, to be honest with you. I double dip in my things that I use, my boom cards and whatever else I have a lot. You'll have to send me a link to that freebie door one and I'll put it yeah. in the show notes. This way everyone I will. Can, and, and, I'll sure, put, I will. and I'll put a link to the Pixabay thing as well because we're all yeah. you know needing more and more tools mm-hmm. for our virtual toolbox because yes. hey, this is a whole new environment for us. So. Right, exactly. And I'm sure it was. it's also... Like I know for me, like as a mom, I loved like when my daughter was in doing her virtual kindergarten classes Mm -hmm. in the spring, I loved being a fly in the wall and I got to see the way the teachers were like prompting them. And I'm like, I can now tell, do that too. Like, so I can, I, like I got to be on the parent side Mm -hmm. and I, like, I think the virtual therapy really gives our parents an opportunity to observe what's going on yes. and it forces the parent interaction where if mm-hmm. in a school or said whatever like you have to like make more of an effort right totally like typically I would see my parents at you know like conference night and IEPs and if we're testing then we're doing that whole thing but now you have them almost every single session or they're engaged and they're checking in in the beginning or at the end. And that is such a perfect time to say, hey, these are the things we went over. This is your speech homework and here's how we can do it. And so-and-so mom's right here. Can you teach them how to do whatever? So I think while, yes, it's a struggle and definitely different than what we're used to, I think it can also be really helpful and kind of in our corner. Mm -hmm. And they're in their home, which I found is so helpful. So they have their own toys and their dog and whoever else. So you're way more likely to hear their authentic communication than you are in the speech room or at school or whatever it is. Yeah, it's easier to model what to do with the parent exactly. when you're not there. When exactly. versus like if you, like what great is that you played Mr. Potato Head with you, but if they don't have that in their house, like how how yeah, would exactly. that look? Like right. I, I, you know, they might struggle with you know transferring it over to another similar toy. Yes, definitely. So so true. Well, thank you, girls, so much. I know I. I mean, it's been a while since I worked for preschool, but I know so many of my listeners are working with preschool students and really struggling with keeping them motivated and making sure they're doing proper evidence based therapy that is making a difference. And so many times, SLPs find themselves overthinking, unsure, unconfident, and we don't want that. So. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you for having us. Can you tell everyone where can they learn more about you, find you, experience everything you have to, to offer? For sure. So we are on Instagram at Let's Talk About Speech Podcast. We also have a website that is letstalkaboutspeech.com. And if you guys have any questions or tips or tricks or ideas for episodes, we also have an email, which is Let's Talk About Speech Podcast at Gmail. So we would love to hear from you. And then Claire and I are both on Instagram individually. I am on, this is Rachel, at Super Sweet Speech and Claire. 
I am on at kindly underscore speech. I had to think about that. I don't know why. (laughs) And I'll have all links and social media information in the show notes. So go head over to speechtimefund.com to go check out all of that. And like always, I always end my episodes with a joke of the week because, hey, we like to have fun as SLPs. Do you guys have a favorite joke? I don't. Gosh, I feel like we If not, I have one prepared. If not, I have one prepared. But if you had a favorite one. No, I don't. My okay. favorite, can I just share it really quick? Yes. My favorite is how do you make a tissue dance? Do you already know this? Boogie, oh, put a boogie know. in it. Yeah, they put, a, yeah. put a little boogie in it. I always tell that to my kids and they love it because you're talking about boogies. Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> one of my favorite jokes I tell my daughter was one she plus one she. Tushy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, they're the best. They love talking about that stuff. <laughs> I have a real kind of joke, so I'm going to Okay, it. yep. Why are Saturday and Sundays the strongest days? Why? Because all the others are weekdays. Oh, <laughs> I love it. We are all we are, about the puns. Here. I was just <laughs> going to say that we are pun lovers. So right? I, if you can laugh that. about what we do each and every day, I agree with. We want to cry, so yes, that's we so have true. to laugh about it because we love being SLPs. So thank you, girls, so much. Thank you. And until next week, guys, stay out of trouble. Are you looking for quick therapy ideas that will help your students? and keep them motivated and engaged, don't forget to check out my Teachers Pay Teacher store at shopspeechtimefun.com. I have everything you need for older speech students, mixed groups, and more. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.